Welcome to episode 102 of section 138. I'm your host, Mark Cauley. As always, I'm joined by Bryson and Jacob. How are you guys? I'm, I'm doing good, Mark. Doing good. Uh, I, I would be lying if I said I still wasn't excited, but I think everything's starting to sink in for me now, so everything's still good over here. And it's been a whirlwind couple of days, but go ahead, Jacob. I was going to say, it's been an absolutely crazy week uh, here in, uh, in the Blue Jays fan base, but it's... It's very exciting times. It definitely is. It's been four days since the Blue Jays signed George Springer, and there's really no sign of the Blue Jays slowing down. They've shown interest or gotten close to signing Michael Brantley, Brad Hand, James Paxton, D.D. Gregorius, Chris Bryant, Kyle Hendricks. Um, Those are just some of the names that we know the Blue Jays have been interested in these past four days. And earlier this week, before the Blue Jays signed George Springer, they also signed Kirby Yates and Tyler Chatwood. Um, We've already talked about George Springer on this podcast, but we never talked about Kirby Yates and Tyler Chatwood because it kind of got obscured, as you could imagine, by the George Springer news on Tuesday night. So let's start there. Um, Do you guys think that these two additions to the Blue Jays are enough to solve the problems in their bullpen? Because Kirby Yates, we know he's coming off a a bad year, but he is a very strong pitcher. He has been very good in the past, and we anticipate him being very good for the Blue Jays, perhaps even taking the closer role away from someone like Jordan Romano. Um, And of course, Anthony Bass no longer coming back to the Blue Jays after signing a deal with the Miami Marlins. So is this addition this past week enough to solve the problems in the bullpen? Or do you still want to see other additions for the Blue Jays to make? Honestly, I think this is all the Blue Jays needed. I mean, their bullpen the back end of it, like you mentioned with Jordan Romano and especially with Rafael Dolis, it, it was it was solid. Even last year, uh, with Anthony Bass, obviously not with the team, but it was still great. And I mean, we expected Ken Giles to be the closer, but that obviously didn't happen. And the bullpen was fantastic it was all throughout the season. And I don't I didn't really have any questions or complaints about it. And especially uh, with with Charlie Montoyo's kind of uh, he doesn't leave starters in as long. The bullpen was tested and it was it was solid. And I mean, with with uh, with Yates, I think he, he's been great. I've heard a lot of uh, comments from people, a lot of messages saying, you know, he's he's a solid guy. And I mean, in 2019, he did lead league lead the league in saves with 41. And I mean, he he's a solid guy and he's obviously coming off of you know, a bit of a down year, but he's he'll be good for the Blue Jays. And now they've they've solidified the back end of their bullpen and similar with Tyler Chatwood. I mean, Looking through his stats, he's done a lot of starting with uh, with Los Angeles and Colorado, but he's kind of been pitching out of the bu- the bullpen with the Cubs the last couple of years. And I mean, ERA uh, about four forty. So I mean, you're getting an average guy, possibly a fifth starter, uh, middle of the middle inning bullpen type guy. You know, solid pickup. I think similar to Robbie Ray, where it's a very low risk type of deal, where it's not not the flashiest name, but it's somebody that definitely could. Uh, could pan out for the Blue Jays. And obviously with Robbie Ray coming back for another year, we see that the Blue Jays are willing to to bet on these guys. And I think these are definitely solid pickups for them. Yeah, they're. Um, I think the Jays are almost there. Maybe an armor, maybe one more arm I think would be good. But if they were to end it now and uh, pretty much solidify their bullpen for now, I think, I think they're in a decent position, to be honest with you. And a lot of it is going to depend on Kirby Yates, who is coming off of a... 
Uh, I think it was an elbow injury, and he pretty much limited him to five games in 2020. And um, those five appearances didn't go too well. But if you look at the year prior to that, he was he had an ERA below two. He was an all-star. And if he returns to form, uh, that could be a massive, massive difference for this bullpen. And right now, when you look at the names that they have, it is Kirby Yates, it's Jordan Romano, Rafael Dolis, Julian Merriweather, Ryan Barucki, Tyler Chatwood, Anthony Kay, Shun Yamaguchi. And depending on when or if the Jays add another starter, we are expecting that. I guess Ross Stripling could be thrown around there as a potential option in the bullpen. And there's lots of other names. Um, Trent Thornton's going to be one who's going to be hanging around as well. I guess trying to compete for a rotation spot. Don't know how successful he'll be in that. But there's just lots of names that are hanging around. And with the Tyler, Tyler Chatwood signing, he comes over from the Chicago Cubs. And pretty much another player who, I guess if he shows up, could be another big difference maker for this team. But last year, he struggled um, in Chicago. He put up a 530 ERA with a negative war. But the one thing I do look at is his FIP was 335. So I guess it proves that he was somewhat unlucky. And his last season where he had, a, I guess, a goodie, uh, one of his better numbers for his career was 2019 uh, with the Cubs. He had an ERA of 376 and a whip of 1.33, so about around the major league average. And, of course, it comes with a cheap contract of one year and $3 million. So those two signings are going to be a big difference for this team. And you hope that all of them or both of those new additions are just a good added or a good piece to the puzzle that could make this team competitive as pitching right now would be the weakness in this team when you look at it on paper. And that is why the Blue Jays are still trying to address it and get starting pitchers and uh, look to get other pitchers maybe for the bullpen around there. But the Kirby Yates one too, I just, it's going to be a massive difference maker. He's got a five and a half million dollar deal, which can go up to around 8 million with incentives. And it's just, it's, it's, I love how this came out of nowhere because Kirby Yates was actually one of the people that we've never mentioned in terms of these rumors. It kind of came out of nowhere and um, it was just on last week, I right? I think it was, it was the day that Springer did sign or the day before. It was right in the morning when he signed and it was, um, I, I was thrilled with it. But the one thing I do look at too is now, and Mark, you mentioned this when you introduced the topic, is that uh, he has a potential, it's another potential option to be a closer. And the one thing, too, with this team is it's the first time, which I found interesting, it's been six years now, so uh, the first time since 2015 where they'll be entering a season without a written closer, like set in stone, a closer that we don't know for sure. Because in that time frame, it has been Roberto Osuna previously and Ken Giles after that. So when you look at this team now, you add another option to be a closer. You have Jordan Romano, Rafael Dolis, and now Kirby Yates, depending on his performance, could... You can't rule him out being a closer for this team. Who knows if he starts it that way? But at some point, um, who knows? He can easily become a or slot into the closing position. So these two pieces, a lot of it will depend on the performance. But the way they line this up, um, it's got a pretty low risk, high reward based off of the salary and based off of the term, everything like that. But maybe one more arm, uh, I think. But they do have a lot of they do have a lot of pitchers now hanging around that bullpen. So maybe they don't even have room. Uh, I've mentioned someone like Ross Stripling, too, who's right now slated in that rotation, but we expect a signing for another s- starter, so that could be another option. So they're, they're, it is going to get pretty crowded, but right now I think they're in a good position, and these two signings nearly completed it for me in terms of the bullpen. Yeah, I think you mentioned their performance, and that's the part I'm a little bit worried about because both of these guys are coming off like suboptimal years. I mean, Kirby Yates, like we know what he can be in 2019. He had a 1.19 ERA. He had an all-star season, got Cy Young Award votes that year. He had a league-leading 41 saves, as Jacob already mentioned. 
But last year, or in 2020, he missed a lot of time because he had surgery to remove bone chips. Um, and then the same thing with Tyler Chatwood, right? He had a rough um, 2020 season. He had an injury and he missed most of the season. He had a forearm strain. Um, and before that, in 2019, he was really good. He had a 3.78 ERA, mostly out of the bullpen. But I guess the thing that I'm worried about is that we'll get the 2020 starter or reliever and not the 2019 starter or reliever. That's what I'm worried about, and that's why I think the Blue Jays still have to go out and get another name, whether it's Brad Hand, um, whether it's a, a lesser name, or even a starter like James Paxton. Obviously, we know they need starting, but I think if they solidify their rotation, that means that, by extension, the bullpen gets more depth, if that makes sense, right? Because you have right now you have some guys who... Maybe they fit in in the number four spot, number five spot in the rotation, or maybe they fit in in the bullpen. I'm thinking Anthony Kay, Ryan Barucki, although I don't really think Barucki's returning to the rotation anytime soon. But I think if you go out and you get a James Paxton and you get a Jake Odorizzi, then you move those guys permanently to the bullpen. Or if you do it the other way around, you go out, you get a Brad Hand, then you don't have to worry about that bullpen depth. So I think there's still more work to be done just because you can't bank absolutely on the performance of someone like Kirby Yates, on the performance of someone like Tyler Chatwood. Even though we should expect them to be good, we can't guarantee they will be as good as they were. Yeah, absolutely. So what I meant too with the low risk high reward is obviously with the the salary, it's you know not the end of the world financially, but yeah, for in terms of the actual performance, it, it is a difference maker. And Brad Hand, I guess the latest we've heard is that the Jays appear to be the front runners, or at least they have the best chance of somewhat bypassing the Mets. How cool would that be to beat the Mets two straight times in a matter of a couple of weeks? That would be really cool. But Brad Hand is another one. If you add him as well, there's another option, and I guess your front runner to be the closer of this team, and that takes it to the next level. So he's still on the market, and there's a decent chance that the Jays can still do this. Because we know, you know, just because the Jays got their guy in Springer for the next six years, they they paid the big bucks for him. It does not mean they're done. And right at the introduction mark, when you introduce the players who they're still looking at, I think that just proves it that they're not even close to being done. And we're almost uh, into late January now. So it'll be exciting here, I guess, in the last part of the offseason. So uh, I'm, I'm very excited to see what happens. Yeah. And you mentioned uh, by adding to your rotation that kind of unintentionally but also intentionally will uh, add to your bullpen and I think that is true because we've said all throughout the offseason that the Blue Jays do need a third starter but as for their fifth starter which is the one spot in the rotation that is not uh, solidified that's probably going to go to a bullpen guy so if you were to you know acquire a James Paxton or even a second uh, starter then your bullpen is almost completely solidified because then you're not losing Anthony Kay or a middle inning guy or even someone like uh, Tyler Chatwood, who has uh, started in the past, who wouldn't start. So it's the Blue Jays. I don't think are done, and uh, the bullpen. I think is probably they're they're done making moves that are uh, dedicated to the bullpen. But I think you know if they were to go and acquire a starter, then it, well, they need to do that. But that would also that would improve the rotation. But at the same time, then your bullpen is almost even more solidified because now you don't have a guy that you, you're kind of not sure about where he's going to go. And I think Toronto's top priority right now is the rotation. I don't think, like, like what we're saying is just solidifying that fact. The Blue Jays' priority is rotation, and then I would say an infielder, and then 
relievers or bullpen depth if you can get it. I think the number one and number two thing that they have to do right now is not the bullpen. It's the infield and the pitching, which we've seen them trying to solidify through rumors um, since we last talked about George Springer. I mean, we've been bringing up the names, but might as well just break open that discussion. James Paxton. He's a name that the Blue Jays were involved with yesterday. Um, You have someone like Anthony Bass, who, of course, they were interested, signing away with the Miami Marlins, as I already mentioned. You have D.D. Gregorius, who the Blue Jays are apparently have some level of interest in, according to Shai Davidi. So you have these names that the Blue Jays are trying to get, or at least interested in, before they get a reliever. So I, I let's talk about those names. So James Paxton, of course, he's another one of those guys who didn't have a great 2020, but is overall a pretty good pitcher. What do you guys think about this? Are you w- would you be happy if the Blue Jays went out and got James Paxton and called it quits with the starting rotation, or do you want them to get a different name, like of course Trevor Bauer, Jake Odorizzi? Um, is James Paxton good enough to satisfy what you think the Blue Jays need in the rotation? Uh, for James Paxton, it, that one's interesting because, well, first of all, the Canadian connection right away is uh, something that interests me. And, of course, the, the one thing I do remember about Paxton is when he, he you know, hit the Jays a few years ago. But uh, last year, or at least since he's been with the Yankees, his numbers exactly haven't been the greatest. In 2019, he had an ERA just below four. So it was all right. But last year in particular, in 2020, uh, a 664 ERA. So nothing that was, I guess, impressive or not. Or not. But for Paxton too, I like the idea of Paxton because of those re- or the Canadian connection as well. But we also have seen him when he's been pitching good. And, you know, I'm, I'm not really going to take a lot away from 2020 for that reason alone as well. I just feel like there is something there, but I just... It's not enough for me to say, okay, based off of his performance last year, this is something that the team shouldn't pursue. But there's lots of names, all due respect to him, that are, I guess are more of a like a plan A, and Jake Odorizzi is one of them. And you know, those are the pitchers that I would assume that you are targeting more, and hopefully these are more like a fallback option. But I like I like the amount of names that this team continues to be interesting or interested in. And uh, for Jake Odorizzi as well, he's another solid pitcher who would be a great fit in this rotation right at the top to the middle at worst uh, part of this rotation. And James Paxson would be a good fallback option. But starting pitching has got to be the priority because of those reasons alone. When you look at an infielder, at least the Blue Jays have options around them in case it doesn't work out that they already have on this team. But when it comes to the rotation, there really isn't any other options or plan B's if you uh, don't get a starting pitcher. The only really plan you have is to throw in somebody else like a Ross Stripling or somebody else within the system, which is a little bit more of a risk. And you want to add to the depth, which is which would make sense. And, you know, focusing primarily on starting pitching has to be um, what the Blue Jays are all over right now. And it would com- make complete sense. But James Paxson would be a, a name that I would definitely be open to. But uh, Jake Odorizzi would be, I think all three of us would agree that he should be the number one guy, at least, that this team's pursuing. And he would be the greatest fit here out of all these names. But Paxton would be a good option as well if something continues to drag on or if the Jays miss out on Odorizzi. Yeah, I think the same thing. I mean, when you look at James Paxton and his his career stats, they're actually pretty good. I mean, 2020 was kind of a rough year for him with uh, the Yankees with a 664 ERA. But other than that, you know, you're going to get a solid pitcher, you know, a mid-3 ERA. Uh, There are a few times where he... He was actually really good close to two or even below two uh, in his early days with Seattle. But overall, he's, he's a good player. Uh, like you said, probably more of a of a plan B type guy. 
you know, the Blue Jays have uh, other options who are not signed. You know, we've mentioned uh, Jake Odorizzi, uh, what's his name, uh, Taiwan Walker. You know, there's a lot of guys that the Blue Jays could easily uh, still target because nobody else is targeted them yet, or at least nobody signed them. But I wouldn't actually mind a signing uh, of James uh, of James Paxton because he is a solid pitcher and he could be the fifth starter. I mean, you know, fourth or fifth, depending on how they want to how they want to. Uh, go about that with Robbie Ray but you know what I think he would be a good option like you said Bryson if it's something where contracts are starting to drag on and nothing has really happened yet then the Blue Jays should easily target him because he he would make this team better and it is also interesting the like you mentioned the Canadian connection and the fact that he has no hit the Blue Jays you know a little interesting tidbit there but yeah James Paxton is a solid pitcher and the Blue Jays they could benefit from the depth of him. I think he, he, again, would be lower risk type of deal, but mediocre to high reward, and I would call that a win. You know, he, he would easily be uh, beneficial for this team. Yeah, I think it's the same type of thing that you would expect with, as I mentioned, Kirby Yates, Tyler Chatwood. You expect him to be a lot better, but there's still a level of risk there. So obviously your top choice should be Jake Odorizzi. But if you have to get by with someone like James Paxton, that's okay. And if it means the Blue Jays get James Paxton and then they also have the space and capacity to go out and get an infielder like D.D. Gregorius or, as we've mentioned, another pitcher out of the bullpen, whether it's a big name like Brad Hand, whether it's someone else, I'm happy with that. If they spend less on the rotation and it gives them more to spend elsewhere, I'm happy um, but I'm all like I'm happy however it goes as long as they get a, a mediocre to good pitcher to fill out the rotation I think that's a great addition for them and I think that takes them to the next level um, we've kind of been beating around the bush this entire episode because we talked about it a lot in our last episode but let's just jump right to George Springer because you know there's so much else happening in the Blue Jay world but obviously this is the number one thing happening in the Blue Jay world so to start off our I guess second conversation about George Springer since we last talked on Tuesday about him have your opinions or thoughts about George Springer changed at all? I mean, we've seen a kind of discourse around the six-year, $150 million deal. We've seen people saying, okay, this is good. It's not enough for the Blue Jays to just do this. Have your opinions that you shared on our podcast on Tuesday changed at all as you've thought more about this deal? I'm going to say no. I, I have the same opinion. And I was I, I tried to manage my expectations. Obviously, I was very happy about it, but at the same time, I tried to also take into consideration the potential downsides. And I'm going to say, I have the same opinion. You know, I'm I'm excited that he is now a Toronto Blue Jay. He makes this team very good. Uh, nothing really against him or any of that. You know, he's like we've said, he's he's a fantastic player. He's a three-time All-Star. Uh, I believe also a two-time Silver Slugger. You know, he he's a great player, and he solidifies this outfield for at least the next four to five years and especially as we've talked about with guys like Lourdes Gurriel Jr. Teoscar Hernandez now this outfield is set for the next couple of years next multiple years not even just a couple but we mentioned last year or last uh or earlier this week I should say it's a lot of money uh and Shai Davidi also just came out with a tweet breaking down his his uh his contract and he's gonna make a lot of money next year he's actually gonna make 28 million next year but the majority of it is gonna be around 22 million so it's it is a lot of money, but at the same time, we've said this, the Blue Jays need to overpay guys. Uh, I, I think most of my opinions on this trade is just excitement, and, and also it is kind of interesting when you think about it. The Blue Jays, 
in the last two years, they have acquired two unanimously loved uh, stars, you know, unanimously recognized stars around the league, you know, with Hyun Jin Ryu last year, uh, last offseason, and now George Springer, you know. So the Blue Jays, they're making the moves that they need, and I'm I'm excited about it. And I think they they have a great player. I'm Obviously, like, th- there are some downsides. It is a lot of money, a big-time commitment, but overall, this team is good. They're going to be a lot better with him. So I'm just, I'm happy, and my opinion really hasn't changed. I th- it's a good move. Yeah, he may be well-liked uh, for us at least, but, you know, around the game and especially a place like New York, I feel like it might be a little bit otherwise just because of that Astros connection, a little bit of a foreshadow for later on in the episode. But for me, Jacob, completely agree. Nothing's changed for me. Uh, I'm I'm very excited about this, and I think I join along millions of Blue Jays fans who agree with me. And for those who, I guess for the few that completely hate on this deal, uh, I just, I don't understand then I don't understand why people would hate on the front office because the front office got out and got the guy for the next six years, the biggest or largest signing in franchise history, which we discussed, and an all-star, an elite player, you know, everything goes along with his name. Uh, It's just a massive, massive addition, and uh, I couldn't be more excited for him. But, you know, $150 million, uh, I guess you could say they overpaid, but the one thing I do still like about this is that they gave him exactly what he wanted and of course, we know the, how the Mets went under that. They went around 125 to the maximum. But, um, you know, we mentioned it last week, and I personally said it too. The Mets got Lindor. They chose Lindor. And that kind of led the way for the Jays to get George Springer. But for me, nothing's really changed. Um, you know, you know what you're going to be getting out of him, at least on paper, the starting center fielder for the next six years. And everything about him is just, I think it's going to bring a lot more attention to the team. And rightfully so that the Jays have been dominating the news networks in the country and around Major League Baseball all week. Um, You know, it's very rare to see the Jays, I guess, especially in a hockey town, especially during hockey season or basketball season, to be leading the way on SportsCenter or the news because of what they did. Because they were doing that all this week. And this was a massive, you know, it was just a a bombshell of an effect across the entire country and of like I and like I mentioned all of baseball because now people are looking at the Jays and they're starting to realize that they are for real they're getting more recognition they're getting more attention and that's something that they truly deserve because for these past couple of years uh, I guess near the end of their rebuild that they've been going through uh, with these young stars that they have in Bichette uh, Biggio Guerrero they still have been kind of being you know, they've been under the radar a little bit. I guess the MLB has been pumping them up a bit, but the attention still isn't completely there. So I hope the George Springer thing brings that up, and it rightfully should, and I think it has so far based on the reactions and everything we've seen. But nothing's changed. He's going to be selling tickets once fans are available to go back to Rogers Center. He's going to be selling jerseys, merchandise, hat, all of it. It's going to be It's a massive, massive opportunity for the Blue Jays, and you would hope in these six years, or at least most, I would say, more like four or five of those years you see an elite George Springer that we, uh, we, we've we been used to seeing so far uh, or early on in his career. Yeah, I mean, for me, nothing has really changed. I said on the podcast Tuesday that it's too much money for him, and I, I stick by that. But again, like I said, you have to overpay for guys like this, so I'm not really bothered by the fact that it's a lot of money. But yeah, and I think most fans even though things have maybe cooled off a little bit, passions have cooled, I think most fans are still very, very happy with this deal. I don't know how you couldn't be. Like, it's it's George Springer. It, it's the best position player on the market, and the Blue Jays got him. And you really can't disagree with that at all. I've seen some people complain, and I've gotten some chirping from friends of mine who are not Blue Jay fans, about the fact that George Springer, yes, he did play on the 2017 Astros, 
and now he's coming to the Blue Jays, and it seems like Blue Jay fans are just totally ignoring the fact that he was on the Astros that year, and he did take part in a cheating team. I've been excusing this to myself by saying, yes, he was a cheater in 2017. Yes, he made mistakes. Yes, he should have been punished by Major League Baseball. But that's in the past, and it's not something Blue Jay fans can control. So I'm just going to be happy the Blue Jays got him. I know that's kind of working around it and, you know, making it feel good to myself and making excuses. But that's how I'm wrestling with the fact that, yes, he did cheat, but also he's a Toronto Blue Jay. I love that. Exactly. That's what that's what I was going to say. And uh, you brought up a good point, you know, kind of, I don't think we should necessarily forget this, but at the same time, if George Springer is going to be a Toronto Blue Jay for the next six years, I would rather enjoy that than sit there and be angry because, you know, you can, like I said, you can, you can acknowledge that this happened and I do think he should have been punished as well as every other player that was involved in it. But at the same time, he's a Blue Jay. I don't want to excuse it, but at the same time, if he's helping my team win, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go against that and say, oh, that doesn't count because he was a cheater. Look, what happened, like you said, it happened. There, there's not really anything that we could do about it. But again, George Springer is a Blue Jay. He helps this team. He makes this team better. He's one of the biggest, well, he is the biggest signing that the Blue Jays have ever made. And he makes this team good. And I don't think you can forget what happened. But at the same time, you have to acknowledge the fact that he's a part of your team whether you like it or not we cannot control that he is now a blue jay and if we just sit there and hold a grudge against him well then we're just going to waste six years of of watching fun baseball so we can't forget it but at the same time you can't you can't just sit there and be angry about the entire you can still be upset about the fact that this was cheating and i've said this before you know this was a this was a disgrace to competitive sports not just baseball but Look, if he may, if he's helping our, your team better, and if he's hopefully learned from that and is moving on, then I think it's fair to say that I'll welcome him to the Blue Jays. Yeah, and everything that that Astros team did, and you know, you can't undo. And that's the one thing that once George Springer's career is over, and just like anybody else in that Astros team from 2017 to whenever they stopped cheating, uh, you're going to look back at their numbers, and you're going to look back and remember the one thing that they will be remembered for in that 2017 title, and that was the fact that they were cheating. They were the, the trash can banging. I was actually looking through, you know, funny enough, I was looking through previous tapes today, and I, I, I found a video of, um, you know, that, that uh, who I don't know what his name was, but he was doing the entire Astros scandal tweets, and you can hear the trash can banging in the videos. And I, I came across one of the Springer ones, and there was Do you mean a, John Boy? Yeah, that might have been what it was. And yeah, I, I came across one of the Springer at bats, and I did. There was a trash can going on over there. But look, it, it's it is in the past. And the one thing I, I I like about this move, especially when you want to talk about it from George Springer's uh, perspective, regardless of where he went, and I would probably agree with him. And this is my theory, and I want to ask you guys too, if you guys were part of this cheating scandal, you know especially for a guy like Springer who's, you know, he's in the, I believe he's been in the league for about six or seven years now. So he's got a lot of time left. And the one thing he needs to do, and the one thing that he still has time to do, is reestablish his reputation. And what better not to reestablish your reputation by 
going to a different organization. I feel like that's the best course of action. And you might see that a little bit more down the line with the Astros as their contracts expire. I'm not sure personally, but that's how I feel. And that's one of my theories. And if I was in that situation, I would want to reestablish my career and I would want a fresh start somewhere else. And that's that's personally how I feel. And this is if Springer went to the Mets, he came to the Jays, he went anywhere else. He needed a fresh start, and this is perfect for him. He's still young, or he's in his early 30s now. He's been in the league for seven years. This is exactly what he needs to reestablish his reputation. And I'm glad he took the opportunity to do it here, obviously. But the one thing, too, is I know that entire team was guilty. Um, Obviously, it was more on Altuve, Correa, Bregman. However, of course, everyone knew what was going on, and they're still guilty for it, unfortunately. But... It's just, it was unfortunate, and I'm sure when you look back on it now, they're all going to regret it one day. And Springer as well, it takes away from him because, and along with all these other hitters, because regardless if they're cheating or not, these guys are still elite baseball players. And forever, they're going to be questioned for how good they really were based off of these scandals. So for George Springer to come over here for the next six years and start fresh, you know, like when he has the time to do it still, this could potentially reestablish his career. And the one thing for sure is he will become a fan favorite here fast. We know how quickly Jays fans will fall in love with players. Um, I'm sure everyone's on, you know, most of people are really happy to with Hunjin Ryu and we've seen it with other players. 2015, David Price was a hero after the first inning. Uh, like the, the game sold out and from there on out, the, the rest of the season was sellouts. And it, what I'm trying to say is the point is that they can win over, you can win over the Jays fan base that quick. And for Springer, it's a, it's a great opportunity for him. And I'm just, I'm looking at all these numbers and projections for him. And there's lots of projections coming out for him already. And this, it, the take, to take this in, it's obviously if they're playing games at Rogers Center, that's how the numbers were conducted. It's probably going to be altered because they'll be likely playing elsewhere. But he's projected to hit 279. He's projected to hit 36 home runs and 92 RBIs. And that just screams elite baseball and somebody who can lead the way for this team and be a, a leader both on and off the field. And we know off the field he's a great um, person as well. When Houston went through the hurricane, uh, a couple of years ago, uh, he was the one pretty much donating, you know, thousands of dollars to all across Houston to help them get back on their feet. And of course, he's been donating donating a lot of money to uh, from the pandemic. So I think that just shows the character he is off the field. Um, and I and once again, I can't take anything away from the cheating that he was involved in in 2017. But for Blue Jays fans, and for I guess we can only really speak to Blue Jays fans. This is time to flip the page, a fresh start, and realize the potential of a player that you guys are getting. Of course, he's still going to hear it. Uh, I you know, I wouldn't be surprised in a Zoom, is the first Zoom press conference, one of the first questions you have to imagine is this is going to have to be addressed at some point. You know someone's going to ask him about the cheating in 2017. And once fans return, he's going to have to go through Fenway Park and Yankee Stadium a lot more than he, he used to. So it's he's still going to have to deal with this, uh, of course, for the next couple of years. He's not completely out of the woods going to a new team. But this opportunity for him... Um, it's a good one for him, and um, I'm truly excited, along with every other Blue Jays fan that exists. Most of them, I should say. Mm-hmm. And it does feel kind of hypocritical, I guess, for us to sit here and be, oh, he's such a great player. Oh, we're so happy he's on the Blue Jays. Even though, I guess, like a year ago, pretty much, we were on this podcast saying, you know, this is one of the worst scandals in baseball history. This is horrible. We hate these guys. So it does feel kind of hypocritical, but I guess... You know, we're justifying it in these ways. So if any fan is listening and feels guilty for being happy about this, here's some, you're learning some ways to justify it to yourself. But another way that I kind of think about it is that like George Springer, yes, as you mentioned, Bryson, like he's a good guy off the field. And 
like he was only 26 in 2016 and and 27 in 2017 like he was not a veteran on that club. He didn't have the type of influence to make the team stop cheating by himself, right? It's not like he was an instigator. It's not like many of the players were instigators of this. I know there were some players who were heavily involved in it, but largely it was, you know, AJ Hinch. It it was the management that had, you know, spearheaded this. It was a guy in the front office who said, look, we can take this algorithm. We can figure out what the signs mean. And then we can set up these TV cameras. We can do it this way. It wasn't something that was spearheaded by the players. So yes, they deserve some responsibility and guilt for it. But I think uh, you can still be happy that the Blue Jays got it. So that's another way that I'm trying to justify it to myself. I know it seems like... We're making excuses, and to some extent we are, but, um, I mean, look, we got this guy for six years. We're going to have to live with him for that long. We can't be blaming him for this scandal for that long. So um, that's how that's how I'm trying to, to work around this. Also, one of the things that I actually tried to do some research in, I wanted to see how much uh, George Springer took took part in this. And if you guys remember, uh, Twitter, a guy on Twitter named Tony Adams, he was the one that listened to every Astros game and tried to hear the banging uh, of the trash can noises. And what he did is he he made a graph of which players actually used the trash can the most. Uh, now, George Springer, he and Alex Bregman, unfortunately, were two of the biggest culprits with uh, Springer actually having 15% of his pitches told to him. How, and I'm, I'm not trying to excuse that. And I, I don't want to necessarily add fuel to the fire to the Astros haters, but look, I want to, despite that, George Springer, obviously his numbers were, you know, very good in 2017, but they've also been very good for the majority of his career. I mean, 2014, his first year in the league, he hit 231, but after that, he's been an above average hitter for a very long, or pretty much for the entirety of his career. I mean, he hit over 270 in 2015, and over 260, 2016, you know, he almost hit 300 actually in 2019. You know, he's not a bad player. And his on-base percentage, again, you know, his career on-base percentage is 361, you know, so it is good. And I, I don't think we can necessarily, or what I think we can take away from these numbers is, yes, you know, he was part of a, a very bad part of baseball history. But at the same time, it's not like he was one of those players where he needed that. Obviously, he did take part in it, but he's still a very good player. And it's not like, you know, he was only good because of those cheating scandals and he is a good player, and I don't want to repeat myself, but he is a Blue Jay, and we need to accept this because if if we don't accept it and we're angry about it, well, then we're just like I said, we're going to waste six years of our of potentially the the best era of Blue Jays baseball. Yeah, you can go put all the numbers together or whatnot, but you know, at the end of the day, of course, you can't make excuses for what happened. But that's why, like, that's why I said it. He's only been in the league for seven years. He's got a chance to reestablish himself. He's got time. And he's he's got a little bit of something to prove for sure for to the rest of the baseball world. And if he keeps these numbers up and continues to play like he has, um, I think that'll tell you how good he is with or without a trash can banging. So regardless, George Springer, uh, a George Springer jersey is on my hit list as soon as possible in the baby blue, the new blue. Uh, I'm sure you guys are both on the same course of action there and pretty much every other fan. So he's going to be selling jerseys. He's going to be selling tickets. Like him or not, for his his past, you know, at the end of the day, every baseball fan does have to move on. It might take a little bit longer for certain fan bases, but that's just the truth because, unfortunately, you can't undo it. So after the Blue Jays signed George Springer on Tuesday, we mentioned it on the podcast, but they were still interested 
in Michael Brantley. And then the day after, on Wednesday around noon, we heard from Hazel May of Sportsnet that the Blue Jays were in agreement on a three-year deal with Michael Brantley. Um, And we were all pretty excited, I think. We all thought the Blue Jays are going for it. This is it. They've got Michael Brantley. Now they're going to make a trade with an outfielder for another guy. This is it. And then it all kind of fell apart over the course of the day. I mean, we originally heard from Mark Feinsand of MLB.com that the deal with the Blue Jays and Michael Brantley isn't done, and then it developed into it was nowhere near done, and then it developed into he's re-signing with the Houston Astros two years, $32 million. Um, This was very, very weird because pretty much everyone said that Michael Brantley had signed with the Blue Jays. It wasn't just Hazel May. It was the big guys. It was Jeff Passan. It was Ken Rosenthal. It was John Morosi. Um, It was all of those guys saying, yes, Mike Brantley is going to be a Toronto Blue Jay. And then it was all of those guys walking it back. So it was very weird. Um, What did you guys make of this fiasco? Because, I mean, we've talked about before on this podcast about how Michael Brantley has never really been a very strong fit for the Blue Jays. It didn't make much sense for the Blue Jays to get him after they signed George Springer. That being said, it would have been an incredible addition. He's a wonderful um, bat, a great hitter, and he would have made a lot of improvements to the team, especially when you consider what they would have done after a trade for a guy like Randall Grishek, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., Teoscar Hernandez. Um, But he never was a perfect fit for this team. I'll be honest, when the when the trade was uh, supposedly or not the trade the the signing was supposedly official i was like okay you know he'll he'll make the team better he'll be a good fourth outfielder but I, prior to hearing that it was official i was still never necessarily uh, keen on this i thought the blue jays didn't really need an, another outfielder uh, without having to make a trade but even regardless i didn't think that michael brantley was necessarily the the right fit for the blue jays like you said mark but Right after the trade was kind of debunked, or why do I keep saying trade? But right after the signing was made or was debunked, I was like uh, kind of relieved just because I didn't necessarily think the Blue Jays needed him. Uh, and I actually kind of felt bad because Hazel May, uh, one of the original, I think, tweeter or people that tweeted saying that this was official, received a lot of backlash for it on Twitter. I think she deleted her original tweet. I tried to find it, but I think it's gone. But still, a lot of people were trashing her most recent tweet that said it was debunked. And it was just, it was a whirlwind of, uh, however, I think it was like a two-hour span. It was just a weird, weird morning because we heard, obviously, the day before George Springer signed. And we're all euphoric about that. But then we hear Michael Brantley is going to the Blue Jays for, what was I think, three years. And I was like, okay, that's, you know, the outfield is com- is completely set for the next three years. But then, you know, it's not actually happening and admittedly, I had a bit of a, of a sigh of relief because I don't know why the Blue Jays would literally go and sign two outfielders when they already had four, arguably five outfielders that could fit that role. So it was a weird situation, but in the end, I think it did work out for the Blue Jays because they didn't end up signing somebody that they didn't necessarily need. Yeah, I got a lot of Mike Napoli feelings to this because, um, well, just because of how quickly they were here for just a refresher Mike Napoli was a Blue Jay for about four days uh, he was originally acquired in the Vernon Wells deal back in I think it was 2014 and then he was pretty much traded to Texas four days later for uh, Frank Francisco so that's that's what compares uh, it to me 
just to feel how quick his stint with the Blue Jays was. But yeah, I describe this one as more of deflating. Uh, you know, ever, the Blue Jays fans were at an all-time high in getting George Springer. Everyone was pretty much freaking out. And then the same night, because when we did our emergency podcast, we remember we were speaking about it right away and how George Springer had the same, I guess, was represented by the same agency as Brantley, their close friends. And this seemed to be more of something to keep him happy or to start him off happy, like right away. Okay, you know, his first, I guess, thought or his first recommendation was bring in Michael Brantley. And clearly they did everything they could. Actually, I, I can't even say that because we later got a report that they weren't even close, so it, it was just everything about it's very bizarre because it started off and it was very similar to how the Springer signing went down. It started off from a local writer, but this writer, I believe, was based off of Atlanta, so that's the other thing. And then the same, and then one of the other ones, um, I guess another individual who was on top of the Springer report as well that came in later confirmed it, and then all the big boys came in and confirmed it as well, and then we got the report from. Later that afternoon, what uh, Mark, you mentioned how there was no deal in place. So then we're like, okay. Um, and then there was also rumors that they were potentially uh, they were potentially looking to make a trade. But um, I don't know. It was just it was very, very interesting. And um, it just how it fell apart so quick because he was supposed to come here on a three-year deal. And the one thing for Brantley, too, is in order to make him fit in this lineup, you needed to trade away outfielders because um compared to what the jays are going after right now they had a pretty much a surplus of outfielders and uh, for that reason alone that's why it didn't really make sense but yeah michael brantley would have been a great fit if they had to make these moves because they would have had to they would have had to get rid of someone like lourdes guriel or randall gritchick it would have taken some work or some moves to make it fit he could have been more of a dh and it just it was deflating because then a couple hours after the report that there was no deal because i guess we all had the assumption that they were still working out those last details a couple of hours later, it was revealed that he's going back to the Astros. So that was just kind of like, it was it was just very weird altogether. Something that I don't think I've really ever seen in terms of all these big names reporting a signing and all of a sudden it falls apart that quick. So that's why I found it bizarre. But um, yeah, Mark, it wasn't, I guess, a great fit from the start. You would have had to make moves, but it seemed more of something to keep Springer happy or to start it off the relationship with George Springer on a good note, but the Jays have other priorities right now. And, um, you know, the, I guess the only way you can take this in is that the off season goes on and there's still lots of work to be done prior to the spring, but, uh, bizarre, he would have been a good fit if he had to make other moves and all around just in conclusion, very strange. I'll, I'll give that one, but very similar to Mike Napoli. Mm -hmm. And like, it would have been a stretch, but it also fits with what we've been hearing from the blue Jays this off season. Like we, we know that the, idea for this offseason was to get whatever pieces are going to make a big difference and then make it work internally. Like they were going after JT Romuto for whatever reason. It didn't make sense if you look at the structure of the Blue Jays and where their strengths and weaknesses are, but it made sense when you think, okay, they want the best guy on the market and they'll do what it takes internally to make it work. So when you look at Michael Brantley, it seemed like the same type of approach. So that's why it didn't seem like something coming out of left field pun intended, because it seemed like they were just going to make things work internally. And I guess if you stretch it out, it could work. Like, I guess you could have Michael Brantley in DH, you could move Vladdy to third, you could keep Rowdy Telez at first, and all of a sudden you have a team that works. It just requires a couple extra steps to make it work, or a trade, as we've been mentioning. But it, yeah, it is very strange that literally every single reporter was saying this, and then all of a sudden we had it starting to be walked back by every single reporter who had said it was happening. And it makes me wonder, like, 
did all the reporters have the same source on the Blue Jays that was saying the wrong thing? Were they all relying on a report from uh, Michael Brantley's agent who was trying to drive the market up and maybe things got lost in translation? Who knows what happened behind the scenes to make this type of you know, false information go around. And I do feel bad for Hazel May because as we know, she's a great reporter for the Blue Jays. She's um, been highly reputable over many, many years with Toronto. So it's it's just a weird situation overall. But um, I'm not too bummed out that the Jays missed out on on, on Brantley. And, uh, you know, we heard, I think it was um, Scott Mitchell of TSN who said the Blue Jays, um, people in the Blue Jays front office were bummed out because they missed out on Michael Brantley, but I don't think that's true. I I think, you know, what we heard was I you know from guys like Buster Olney. I think that was the truth. The Blue Jays were never really involved with uh, Michael Brantley. They were never that close because it just never made that much sense for them to get him. So it was a very weird situation overall. But yeah, it's it's not a total disappointment. Okay, well, we'll leave things there for today. So thank you to everyone who tuned in to this episode of Section 138. As always, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Section138Pod. Um, you can always rate us on Apple Podcasts. That just helps spread the word about what we're doing here. Or you can also just tell a friend about our podcast. So thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Hey, bro, what's the word? You talking about my friend George? Saying